Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, that's one head, his physical head, we're speaking specifically about a man. And then it says, dishonoreth his head. That would be his spiritual head, Christ. So I think we can all understand pretty obviously there's two heads being spoken about here in the fourth verse. The physical head, the man's head on his shoulders, and then his spiritual head, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read this verse differently, though, because sometimes we read the words in the Bible but we are in our heart or in our mind, maybe we're, 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 we're reading it another way. It doesn't say um, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered with an additional covering on top of his hair. This honoreth his head. Now I'm reading it like that because as we go through this. We're trying to understand, is it a doctrine of the church? And has the church gotten away from this doctrine because culture has infiltrated the church? And so therefore, we need to bring back a doctrine that has been lost. Meaning, women need to have an additional covering on top of their head. That's what we're ultimately trying to understand. Is something additional needed? Look at verse number 14. Doth even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. So a man, as far as his head, what is the Lord saying is the shame? It would be hair. Okay. Verse number 15. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. So what is compared to the glory for the woman here? Verse number 15 tells us the glory is the long hair. What is the shame in verse 14? The shame is the long hair on a man. The glory is the long hair on a woman. And look at the end of verse 15. For her hair is given her for a covering. We get to the defining context of what the covering is by the time we get to verse number 15. And the text or the context of the text defines that the hair is the covering. So when we read verse 4, we can read it as it's written. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered. What does that mean? The covering and uncovering seems to be likened unto hair. There's a shame, it, the hair. There's a glory, it is defined as hair. And there's a definition, it uh, as the covering. And I want you to see the it's. Look at verse 14. Look at the end of it. Long hair, it. Verse 15, long hair, it. At the end of verse 14, her hair is given her for the covering. I think it seems very obvious. The covering is likened unto, if a woman is covered, it's likened unto her long hair as her covering. If a man is uncovered, it's likened unto his short hair as his, makes sense? Seems pretty clear in the text. I don't think we need something additional to avoid shaming our spiritual head. I don't think women who do not have a bonnet on in church or a hat on in church or a veil on in church I don't think that they are shaming their husband, and I don't think the Bible's teaching that they're shaming Christ. Now, some people read that, and they think that's the context, and if they want to come to church with that, that's fine. It's okay. 
Nobody is going to tell you to take it off. And I certainly am not going to tell you to, to take it off. And I'm certainly not going to tell you to put it on. Psalms 35. Psalms 35. I'm going to go away from the text a little bit. I'm going to try to draw out some things that might help us. In Psalm 35, look at verse number 26. Psalm 35, verse number 26, the Bible says, Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Uh, this prayer here from David, we get to this uh and this verse here, what do you go and what do you go to the store and you pull off some shame off the rack or you put a what's the clothing? It's not physical clothing. The clothing here is divine is defined as it's dishonor. What's what's the, the you know, they're ashamed and they're brought to confusion. Why? Because they rejoice at mine hurt. And so the clothing here in this text is they're rejoicing about something. And that shame and dishonor is basically what they are clothing the, themselves with. Now, you can't go to this verse and say, well, yeah, I'm walking around town without any clothes because the Bible says that um, uh, my shame and my dishonor, I'm able to. It wouldn't even make any type of sense at all because it's clear that the clothing here isn't physical clothing is it that we getting that go to psalm 71 just show another example let's see what we have in psalm 71 psalm 71 verse number 13 bible says psalm 71 verse 13 let them be confounded and consumed that are adversaries to my soul. David had adversaries. If you're a born-again Christian, you will have adversaries. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. People tried to hurt David. People are going to try to hurt you. People hurt Christ. When we read the Bible, we need to read the context of the Bible. What's the covering? It's reproach and dishonor. It isn't anything physical that's put on. You're just covered with reproach and you're covered with dishonor. Those that seek my hurt, it says in Psalm 71. Go to Psalm 109. Let's look at one more in the Psalms. Psalm 109, verse number 17. Psalms 109, verse number 17. As he loved cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delighteth not in blessing, so let it be far from him. Verse 18. As he clothed himself with cursing. Like as with his garment. You ever meet somebody and every other word out of their mouth is a filthy curse word. You ever work with somebody like that? Don't worry they're about where you out all day. I mean, that's something where, man, I just can't wait to get to midweek. I need some help. I need to get around God's people. I need to get around some edifying conversation. But they just won't quit. And they are covering themselves, it says. With the garment of cursing. Now, again, you don't go to the store and pull off the rack cursing and put it on as a physical piece of clothing. It's just your mouth won't quit with the cuss words. And it's as if you have just clothed yourself with cursing. And then it gets better. Uh, and for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. That's like a belt. It's just around you always. Verse 20. 
Let this be the reward of mine adversaries from the Lord and of them that speak evil against my soul. And I believe, let's see, we go down. All right, let's keep reading. Go down to verse number 28. Watch what it says. Let them curse, but bless thou. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let thy servant rejoice. Let mine adversaries be clothed with shame. Again, the clothing is clear. It's shame. It's not a physical cloak, cloak or clothes. And let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. A mantle is like a robe. And you take a robe or a mantle and what do you do? You wrap it around yourself. And it's as if they're completely wrapped and clothed like a belt or a girdle or like a mantle or a robe all around them. It just embodies them. And so when people see them, Oh, there's that guy that cusses all the time. It's just all about. Oh, okay. It, this is what I wanted to see too. Look at verse number 18. Here's another picture of that. Uh, with cursing like as with his garment. Psalm 109 verse 18. And then it says, so let it come into his bowels like water. That's the interior part. Bowels like water. It's this water of cursing. Every water just gets out of control. Just like you can see what it does. It destroys. That's what cursing does. And like oil into his bones, oil has a penetrating effect. And it's just, you know, you get somebody, you get around somebody with a filthy mouth. It's just like it's just embodied every part of you. But we see this picture of clothing. We see this picture of covering. I'm going these verses to show you that. We have to read the context, and typically the context will define what's being spoken about. Now you say, well, we went through those verses. That's pretty clear. God's not. That's because God's not trying to trick us. Now I'll grant you there's some things that are tough in the Bible. And we're always trying to study and get deeper and get our roots as deep as we can. So I'm with you on all that. But God isn't trying to confuse or trick us out or into something. Typically, if we just read it, read it again and read it again, we can start to see what the context is of the passage. In 1 Corinthians 11, I think the context is pretty clear that the hair is enough. In verse number 29, let mine adversaries be clothed with shame. And let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. In other words, their confusion is going to be equal to their sin. And the more they sin, the more they're going to be confused. And the more they're confused, the more they're going to be wrapped in a robe or mantle of that. And that's going to be their covering. That's going to be their clothing. Except when Jesus come, all that goes, right? And then he gives you. Well, Ephesians 6, he gives you a lot of stuff. But you are clothed now in his righteousness. And that's something else you can't take off the rack. And the same way you get around somebody and it's just there goes the mouth. And you know it's coming. It's the same way those same people get around you and say, oh, well, there, there goes there goes the mouth. Here it comes, Jesus. And Born again and saved. and uh, There is a clothing that's outside of our physical clothing that's being spoken about in the scriptures. And if you're clothed with humility, if you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. People will know the clothes that you wear. <laughs> they will. The same way we know the clothes that they wear. Because of the curse and mouth. Uh, okay, okay. All right, let's get out of the book of Psalms and let's go to the book of Esther. So you go backward to the book of Job. And then you go backward and you'll come to the book of Esther. And in Esther, we're going to be in the sixth chapter. Okay. 
uh, been doing quite a bit of study on this entire chapter, and I, and I will tell you, it's very, very loaded uh, with with rabbit trails that people go down. And one of the chapters and verses that um, this movement of head covering is going down, or um, ministers or churches that teach this, I had one. I had I heard one preacher say that a woman is not allowed. She is forbidden to join the church unless she has an additional covering on top of her head. Now, where do you find that in the Bible? Well, you don't, but it certainly it certainly helps the preacher get all the ladies to do what he wants them to do. You can't join the. You don't find that in the Bible, but you can use Bible verses and come up with things to get people to do something that they really don't want to do. I guess some do, but anyway, let's get into Esther chapter six. Uh, they'll go to this verse and we'll read the verse and I'll, uh, and I'll give you the commentary on what, on what that side will argue. Esther chapter six, verse number 12. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. And so they'll say, see, there's an additional covering that was physical that went on Haman's head. And so they'll say, well, what, what, what does, you mean to tell me that Haman grew his hair long? In other words, if you're saying that the covering is long hair and the uncovering is short hair in 1 Corinthians 11, then when you run the cross-reference to that verse of head coverings and you come to Esther chapter 6, well, are you saying Haman grew his hair long? In, a, in an hour? No. Of course we're not. But read the verse. What's the context of why he covered his head? Was it for shame? Was it for glory? His hair mentioned? The context is mourning. That's all it is. It's, it's a way of Morning. It had nothing to do with anything else besides that. All he was doing was mourning. There's really nothing else to comment on that. Let's go to 2 Samuel. We'll see it again in a different way. 2 Samuel, verse number 15. Uh, 2 Samuel, chapter 15. 2 Samuel. Chapter 15, Absalom steals the hearts of the men of Israel. He rebels, lies to his father David, rebels against him. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 30, And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up and had his head covered. And he went barefoot and all the people that was with him covered every man his head. And as they went up, weeping as they went up. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Ahithophel is a type of Judas Iscariot. We're not doing a deep dive into this chapter, but uh, we are looking at the covering. Well, what, Dave grows hair? No, of course he did. He put a covering on top of his head, an additional physical covering. It went on top of his head. And in verse 31, what's he doing? He'd be praying. That's what he's doing. He's praying. No, he's praying to the Lord. <laughs> Is there any mention that that's shameful? There isn't. But in the time of mourning in the Old Testament, they put a covering on top of their head. And we see also David is praying and he's not rebuked by the Lord when he has something additional on his head. He also took his, he went up barefoot as well. And one more thing to point out, it says... Look at the middle of verse 30. 
had his head covered, and he went barefoot, and all the people that was with him covered every man his head. It looks like all the people went. I am assuming there's men and women only because it says every man was with him covered every man his head. Did the women not cover their head if they were there? I don't know. But it, David did. In verse 31, he's praying that the Lord don't rebuke him. The Lord doesn't rebuke him. Jeremiah 14. Jeremiah 14. That's the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 11 is a New Testament doctrine. I understand we're not in the Old Testament. And there's certainly a difference that needs to be made between Israel and the church. Just trying to point out, I'm looking for a rebuke from the Lord when a man put something on his head and prayed and the Lord said, hey, quit. I didn't find it there. Jeremiah chapter 14. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. Now look at the D at the beginning of that word and take it out. And what are you left with? Earth. Take the D out and you got earth, right? Now, take the word death and put an R in it. And what are you, what are you left with? Dearth. You know what dearth is? Death on the earth. <laughs> That's what dearth is. It's death on the earth. That not only includes a drought, but is much more extreme from a, a, a drought because if you read the entire book of Jeremiah, you know what you see? These people, they hate God. Jeremiah preaches for five decades. And the Lord finally says, don't even pray for them. <laughs> it's like, they're just wicked. There's death all over the earth. Because of what the nation has done. Look at verse number two. Judah mourneth and the gates thereof languish. That's the sink under sorrow. That's to grow very heavy. They are black under the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. Verse 3, and their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. Why? They were ashamed. And so it was a way of demonstrating or showing that physically that they were ashamed and that they were confounded. Jeremiah's people were into Baal worship. They were attracted to that because <laughs> they would pray to the sun god that they would get rain. So these people start getting attracted to God's creation and not God. In Jeremiah 28, the Bible says in verse 24, the Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. Now, it was a curse for disobedience. So it's not like we've got a, 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 a typical drought where no rain is coming down. That's bad enough. We had, you know, you get you get a drought in Tennessee, and it's pretty bad because you know when the rain comes, all the creeks are going to overflow. <laughs> you got no rain coming, and then dust and powder come down instead. Woo, that's tough. That's tough to live through. The purpose for the nation was that they were to repent. Jeremiah is dealing with people that just don't want to repent. Look at verse number four. 
Jeremiah 14, because the ground is chapped. That's just an alternate spelling of the word chapped. Uh, if you get chapped lips, what do you have? You have cracked lips. You get no rain or you get dust and powder that God is sending down. You know what you have on the earth? You don't have chapped lips. You have a chapped earth. It's cracked. Everybody can understand that when you get no, when you get no rain. Uh, the plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Uh, it doesn't say the plow women. <laughs> it says the plow men. You've got men putting something additional on top of their head. What's the context of that? They were ashamed. Verse number five. Yea, the hind also calved in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. Now you could say this is the first let's save the animals campaign. But what it's picturing is that if the nation would repent, their livestock, the animals would benefit. But they wouldn't repent. The nation wouldn't. Verse number seven. Oh, Lord, though our iniquities testify against us. Do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. Oh, the hope of Israel, the savior thereof in the time of trouble. Why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a man, a stony, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. This is Jeremiah's prayer to the Lord for the nation. And you know why he laments so much? He never separated himself from the nation. It wasn't like, I'm Jeremiah, I'm the prophet of God, and then there's y'all. <laughs> As if the nation and then me. No, he cries out to the Lord for the nation. <laughs> He so is, he weeps over it because they've gone so astray. And he's praying to God. Apparently, the context is telling me that he's got his head cut. And God doesn't rebuke him for that. Watch what the Lord, watch how the Lord answers him. And it's not, by the way, take that thing off your head. It's a shame. Watch what he says. Thus saith the Lord unto this people. Thus have they loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity and visit their sins. Then said the Lord unto me, that would be the prophet Jeremiah. Pray not for this people for their good. He didn't say, pray not with your head covered. They've wandered. They've gone astray. And they're going to pay. And I brought dirt, death upon the earth because of it. And they've astray. They've gone astray so far. Jeremiah, don't even pray for them. Because the Lord's given them something. Because they've been so disobedient. Did you ever have those of you who've already raised children? Did you ever get to those points in the relationship where don't even talk to me? You go in your room, you go out back, you go paint the fence, just don't talk to me. That's kind of what the Lord's doing here. <laughs> Do you not love your children? Of course you love your children. It's just right now, you're going to pay. <laughs> okay, you don't want me. You don't like the rules. You don't like what I stand for. You want to wander away. You want to do your old thing. You want to back talk. You want to do all of this. Okay, don't bring any prayers up to me. Don't talk to me. There's a time of separation. 
The Lord's going to come back to them, and he restores them. But in the meantime, at least what's going on in Jeremiah, that's not the case. What's Jeremiah doing? He's praying for that nation. He's got something on top of his head. Well, that's Old Testament. Okay, but I'm looking for somebody praying where God rebukes them because it's wrong. Hmm. Okay, before we go to Zechariah, go back to Exodus 28. Exodus 28. Exodus 28. And then get the book of Zechariah. Go to the last book in the Old Testament. It'll be the book of Malachi. And then flip back one more book and you come to Zechariah chapter number three. Zechariah. Chapter number three. We'll do Exodus 28 first. But keep your finger in Zechariah chapter number three. Exodus chapter number 28. The Bible says in the first verse. And take thou unto the Aaron thy brother and his sons with him. From among the children of Israel that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Even Aaron Nadab. And Abihu and Elizur and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. We see he's got garments clearly for glory. It's okay to get dressed up, apparently. Verse number three And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. That he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So he's putting garments on for the purpose of ministering unto the Lord. I think we all see that. Verse 4. And these are the garments which they shall make. A breastplate and an ephod, a robe, an embroidered coat, a miter. You know what a miter is? It's an ornament that's worn on the head. That's what a miter is. Um, I go down to the 35th verse uh, Okay look at verse 36 of the same chapter Exodus 28 look at the 36th verse And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold Engrave upon it like the engraving of a signet Holiness to the Lord and thou shalt put it on a blue lace that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be, and it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hollow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon the forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So he's getting ready to minister. Garments are told to be put on. And this time the Lord is telling him, hey, put something on your head, a miter, and here's how I want the miter to look, and you're going to go in and minister unto the Lord. God doesn't stop it. He gives the allowance for it. All right, so let's go back to the fourth verse. Verse number 40, Brother Mark. Uh, and for Aaron's sons, thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles, and bonnets shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty. They'd be going on your head, amen. They'd be going on your head. I've got, oh, let me see. All right, we'll circle back to bonnet in a minute. But interesting. Very interesting. This is for the Lord. And the Lord doesn't warn them or they do something and he stops them or rebukes them. He says, hey, do this. <laughs> and it's okay. All the while they're praying, all the while the high priest is making atonement for Israel. And it's before the Lord. It can't be a dishonor. When the priests were told to do it. All right, so that's Exodus 28. Now let's go to Zechariah. 
Zechariah chapter number three. There's eight visions in the book of Zechariah. We'll end up doing a whole series on that. But we're going to look at the fourth vision in the book of Zechariah. And it deals with Joshua, the high priest. And this fourth vision pictures the restoration of the nation in, in, in the book of Zechariah. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, verse number one. Standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing in his right hand to resist him. So Zechariah the prophet, he sees Joshua the high priest in this vision. Satan is at, is, at, is at the right side and he is in direct opposition. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. And I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And there's no rebuke. It's do this. It wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a dishonorable thing. And it wasn't a shameful thing. The clothes that Joshua was wearing in this vision were described as filthy garments. Verse number three. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. The Lord rebuked Satan. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Joshua is a picture of the nation. That nation is filthy. That nation is defiled. And the Lord's going to take that nation out of the fire. And the Lord's going to give that nation other clothes to wear because he's going to restore and purify that nation. But Israel's a nation here. Is, it's filthy. It's defiled. And this vision pictures the restoration of that nation. And all the while, we see no rebuke of set a fair biter upon his head. And the whole picture is the Lord's going to forgive their iniquity. Now that's pretty good. We don't see any rebuke for it. All right. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. I think this will be the last one. Ezekiel. Jeremiah Lamentations, and then you'll come to Ezekiel. We'll do chapter 44, please. Chapter 44, verse number 20. Ezekiel 44. Well, let's start at verse number 17, because we're going to get the bonnets again. And it shall come to pass that when they enter in the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments, and no wool shall come upon them while they minister in the gates of the inner court and within. They shall have linen bonnets upon their head, and they shall have linen breeches upon their loins, and they shall gird themselves with anything that causeth sweat. When they go forth into the other court, even in the other court to the people, they shall put off their garments wherein they ministered and laid them in the holy chamber, and they shall put on other garments, and they shall not sanctify the people with their garments. Neither shall they shave their heads, nor suffer their locks to grow long. They shall only pull their heads. To pull just means to clip or to shear. They weren't to shave their head bald, and they weren't to grow their hair long. It seems like the Lord's protecting against extremes here. But in, 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 in any event, he tells them something specific to do concerning their hair. 
At the same time, he tells them to put something on their head. <laughs> and he doesn't rebuke them, and it's men doing it. I've got one linen suit, and I like it. You know why? Because it's light. It's a lot cooler than wool. But my wife doesn't like when I wear the linen suit because linen wrinkles. And I know ladies don't like wrinkles. Don't wear that. But it's it's great to wear in the summer. Oh, it always wrinkles. And linen does. That's their cheaper suits to buy. I like them. But they wrinkle. And you know why you wear a linen suit in the summer? Because it's a lot cooler than wool. You know what wool makes you do? Sweat. And the Lord said, I want you to wear linen this and linen that and linen linen everywhere and no wool, nothing that makes you sweat. When you're in the inner court, you're going to have a linen bonnet. The hotter you get, the harder it is to work. You get hot, you want to quit working. When you're doing uh, a lot of personal trainers will do this. You know, they won't have the gym sweltering hot. Because people will typically want to stop pushing themselves further because of the heat. So, you know, your body has a natural air conditioning that God gave us. So we start to perspire and that helps to cool our bodies. Well, some personal trainers will cool the room. So that they don't quit because they're getting heat exhaustion. And they can continue to work that muscle to get a better exercise routine. Isn't it interesting that the Lord said linen? He don't want them sweating. He doesn't want them getting hot. And plus, if you're constantly attending to an altar and fire, you can be hot. He's keying in on sweat. He's keying in on clothes. And there were the two things that entered when, this, when the sin curse came into the world. What is Genesis 3.19? In the face of thy, in the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. Sweat entered as part of the curse. And God has them ministering in such a way he doesn't want any uncleanness. He doesn't want any filthiness. He doesn't want any association with sin coming in like sweat came in after the fall. And so he says, I want you to wear these clothes. They're light and they're linen and they're not going to cause you to sweat like wool was because God was very serious and very detailed about the way. It would worship. You know what else entered in after the fall? Clothes. Clothes. So he's giving some detail here. And God required them to use the lightest clothes possible. The bonnet. The word really in the Bible is just a covering for the head. Nowadays, when we hear bonnet, we think of a distinction of a head covering for a woman. Uh, Ezekiel 24, I think it is, it says, bind the tire of thine head. Well, what's the tire of thine head? That's the turban. It's the linen that goes around the head. God tells them to do something. And it has to do with men putting something on their head when they're going to minister unto the Lord. And he doesn't rebuke them. Now, the argument against that is, well, that's the Old Testament. And 1 Corinthians 11 is a New Testament doctrine. I understand that. We're not Ezekiel and you're not Jeremiah. and We're not a nation. We're individual Christians, right? We get that. But I can't see a pattern found in the Bible where it would be a shame for a man to do it. What's interesting is. Amish or Mennonite will say the reason the women, according to their doctrine, I've read many, uh, I've got books and, and, and swipe files and all this stuff. 
And they all say the same thing. Why the Amish women and why the Mennonite women will wear the additional covering on top of their head all the time is because it would be inconvenient and wouldn't be practical because at any time during the day they could pray. So if they're out and about, well, I can't run home and get my head covering. I can't. So they wear it all the time because they never know when they're going to meet somebody and have to prophesy. They never know when they're going to uh, end up praying. And so they wear it all the time. And they would draw the line and say that, well, some say it's just for corporate worship. They say it would be for all the time. Which is ironic because those same groups of people that say that their women have to wear something on their head all the time have men that go out and work in the field with straw hats on all the time. And that doesn't make any sense to me because <laughs> if you're saying the woman has to wear it to not cause a shame and the man doesn't, then why is the man wearing one? All the time. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. You can pray to the Lord anytime that you would like. You're not going to shame your husband, ladies, and you're not going to shame your savior, ladies, if you don't run home and get your prayer scarf. Men, if you're out working in the field and it's cold, like it was today in the morning and the fellas had the cowboy hats on and me and my son were out there with the cowboy hats on and if one of those good old boys shot a staple through their finger when they're fixing fence when they're doing fence i'm going to kneel down and pray with that man and i'm not and if i don't take my hat off what do you think the lord's not going to answer that come on if we're new testament christians come on come on Where does it come from? Largely, largely Western culture. My mother-in-law had a Thanksgiving day get-together up in New Jersey. And our, our niece brought, brought some uh, pipsqueak of a boyfriend over for Thanksgiving dinner. And so my mother-in-law, everybody calls her mama. Mama said to him, um, well, could we'd like you to take your, uh, your hat off when you come sit at the table. The boy refused. Now he's since been kicked to the curb, which was a smart, which was a smart idea by our niece. But tell Mama it was a good thing I wasn't there because the hat would have came off. You come into somebody else's house as a guest, and that woman who keeps that house and cleans that kitchen, and cooks that food, has to put up with your smart mouth because you won't follow the rules that she set. That's her kitchen. That's her house. That's her table. She put the plates out. It's disrespectful. It's disrespectful. And in Western culture, and in the Old West culture, in cowboy culture, in hat etiquette culture, Men take their hats off. Especially in the presence of a woman when she asked you to take it off. You walk into an elevator. If a woman walks into the elevator, you're supposed to take your hat and hold it in your hand. Now, you can try to make some connection to a New Testament church ordinance, but it is mainly culture. American Western culture. Some religious groups will go to 1 Corinthians and they'll make it a doctrine of the church. We don't have that as a doctrine of the church because I don't see it and I don't think it's there. However, if a woman comes in and she decides she's going to wear a hat or she's going to wear a bonnet or she's going to wear uh, a veil or some type of additional covering on her head and she says, Am I allowed to wear that? My answer is always the same. If your husband allows you to wear it, don't ask me. <laughs> it's like, I don't care what you put or don't put on your head. 
If you want to wear a bonnet or a hat and lace it with blue or not lace it because that's worldly and it's going to be one plain color, because then go ahead. But don't try to bind others to it. And we're not going to try to bind you in taking it off. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11 and we will finish up. I think we get a good idea of men. In verse number seven, uh, okay, so we looked at verse number four tonight. Every man, 1 Corinthians 11, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. What's the covering? Well, verse seven, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Well, what's the covering? Verse 14, doth not even nature itself teach you? That if a man have long hair, well, is that the covering? It is a shame unto him. Well, let's see. Verse number 15. If a woman have long hair, is glory to her, for her hair is given her for a cover. Now, we're going to look at how they get an additional covering in a future lesson. We're not going to go down that rabbit trail tonight. But it's a pretty strong argument. We'll have a good time with that lesson but if we just read the Bible as it is in the context and believe what is written without changing any of the phrases or words, what would be clearly understandable to everybody is man ought not to cover his hair if he's going to pray or prophesy. If a man has long hair, it's a shame. If a woman has long hair, it's a glory. The hair is a covering. It seems that the covering is the long hair and the uncovering is the short hair. That's what it seems to be very clearly Put out by the Lord. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.